Okay, we're doing now Tuesday of the portion of Nusso. What we're beginning now, the first part, is telling us something that actually was said on the day that the tabernacle, Mishkan, was erected, meaning on the first day of the month of Nisan, which, of course, we've discussed much earlier in Shemot, in Exodus, but this portion was stated then, and our sages say that eight portions were stated on that day. So God spoke to Moses saying, command the Jewish people that they must expel from the camp anyone with saraz, the spiritual skin disease, and anyone from whom uh, flows a zav, which is also a seminal discharge, but of a impure spiritual nature, and anyone who came defiled by a departed soul. So this portion was said on the day the tabernacle was erected, on the first day of Nisan, almost a year after the Jews left Egypt, and eight portions are said on that day. Now, why are we suddenly discussing this idea of the impure people leaving the camps? Because on that day, beyond everything else, the camps were established. The camp of the Divine Presence, the Shekhinah, the camp of the Levites, the camps of the Israelites. They didn't camp according to their identifications for another month, but the broad parameters were established, which required the immediate discharge of anyone richly unclean, which other people were now enumerating. So there were three camps. The camp where the tabernacle was is the camp of the Shekhinah, the Divine Presence, which was erected on this day. Surrounding that was the camp of the Levites. Then, from after the camp of the Levites, all of the rest of the encampment, in all four directions, is considered the camp of the Israelites. So someone who had saras, spiritual skin disease, was expelled from all three camps. The Zav, someone who had this spiritually impure seminal discharge, was allowed to be in the camp of the Israelites, but not in the other two holier camps. And someone defiled with the dead was also allowed to be in the camp of the Levites, but was not allowed to be by the tabernacle in the camp of the Divine Presence. Whether male or female, you should send them out. Beyond the camp, you shall send them, and they shall not defile their camps, which died well among them. I'm sorry, I missed uh, Rashi on the previous verse. So I translated who became defiled by a departed soul. The Hebrew is simply tame is impure, but what's lanafesh to a soul? So Unkelis translates it who's defiled by the bones of a human soul. Um, Rashi says the word tame means bones in the Aramaic, and there are many examples in the Talmud and the Midrash where the word that this shorash, tesmem aleph, means bones. So Uncle Sefer was saying the bones of a human soul. So go back to the verse. The Jewish people did so and they send them beyond the camp, meaning these three groups of impure people. Just as Hashem spoke to Moshe, so did the Jewish people do. God spoke to Moshe saying, Speak to the Jewish people when a man or a woman commits any of the sins against man, acting treacherously against God, and that person is guilty. So here now we're talking about a different issue. We finished that issue. And now we're discussing the issue of someone who stole and swore falsely. 
which actually has already been explained in the verses in the previous book of Vayikra. So why do we have here repeated? We're talking about someone who stole and then who lied about it. So Rashi says there's two innovations for which it was repeated. One, here clearly, explicitly, it says how the thief confesses his sin, which means that the penalty on the thief to pay back not only, of course, what he stole, but a fifth of the penalty and to bring a guilt offering when he's convicted by the testimony of witnesses only applies if he confesses. The second thing we learn in this section that we didn't know before is that if property was stolen from the convert and the convert is not able to be around to get it back because he already passed away and has no heirs, that property is given to the priest. They shall confess the sins which they committed. And again, that's the first point Rashi says is the new idea here. It is a confession. They shall confess the sins which they committed and return the principal amount of the object of his guilt and add one-fifth to that amount. He shall then give it to whom he is indebted. So if he stole and was accused and swore he didn't do it and then confessed, he returns, he stole $100, he returns 100 plus another 20 as a penalty, plus, of course, giving this guilt offering. So, and, of course, the money all goes back to the person he stole it from. But, and there's a second new point, Rashi says, that is innovated here. If a man has no redeemer, has no relative, to whom the debt may be returned, the debt being returned then belongs to God, then to the priest. This is besides the ram of forgiveness with which his sin will be atoned. So, what does this mean, the man has no redeemer? It means... If somebody was stolen from, and that person died before the thief felt guilty enough to confess. Now, the man is no redeemer because he died without any heirs. He has no children to receive the money. So we have an issue here. So here's the thief feels guilty, and he confesses, and he's just returned. Who does he give it to? The person died. The person has no children. Who does he give it to? So the rabbi said, who are we talking about? How is it possible that someone has no redeemers? I mean, everyone has some relatives. You have a child. You have a brother. You have any paternal blood relation going all the way back up to Jacob. It must be someone who's your next closest relative. So our sages say this refers to a convert. So he doesn't have any relatives. And he died, unfortunately, without any heirs, without any children. So he truly, there's no one to give the money back to. So, so what's the person supposed to do? So he has to take the principal and the 20% and the fifth and give it back to God, who says give it to God's portion, give to the priest, which priests get it? The priests serving in that watch, the priests were divided. They divided themselves into watches, into weekly rotations to not all be there at once. So they were organized into 24 watches. And each watch performed the service one week on a rotating basis. So the week that this penitent thief confesses is they realize it's a convert, the convert died, there are no heirs, the priests of that watch receive the money. Now we're going to discuss something else. Every truma gift of all the sacred things of the Jewish people they will bring to the priests shall be his. Now, a rabbi's question is, what do you mean, the truma gift that you bring to the priest? You don't bring the truma to the priest. The truma gift as I would literally understand this, truma refers to the first portion of grains, oils, and wines, 
harvested in Israel, which the priests then go around to the Israelites' granaries and they take it. It's a gift. He doesn't have to solicit it, but he has to go. So it's not something you bring to the priest. The priest comes to you. Why are we saying here you bring to the priest? So this can't be the truma, which is what it says and what I think it refers to. It usually refers to the first portions from the grains, oil, and wine, but that can't be what it's referring to because then the priest comes to you. So what are we talking about? We're talking about the Bikurim gifts. Another first, but not grains, wines, or oils, but rather the first fruits because the fruits first of the land the farmer brings to the temple. So you're bringing it to the priest. And actually from this verse we learn that this gift of the first fruits goes to the priest. We know you have to bring them to the temple, but we don't know who gets them. Well, now we know. They are given to the priest. A man's sacred object shall be his. Whatever man gives to the priest shall be his. So what are we talking about here? So since the priestly and Levite gifts are mandated, we could assume that they can confiscate them forcefully. So the Torah says, no, a man's sacred objects are his, meaning the original owner, the Israelite, has the ability to determine, to choose who he's going to give them to among the priests and Levites, but he has to give them to them. There are also many, many other ways of interpreting this verse. On the Midrashic level, of course, if Rashi brings the Midrash, the Midrash has become part of the literal meaning of the verse, a man's sacred honor shall be his. If he withholds your tithes and you refuse to give them, then that's going to be yours. That's all you're going to have because your land will only produce one-tenth of what it should, just the tithes. That's all you're going to have. But whatever man gives to the priest, when he gives the priest a proper gift, then shall be his great riches shall be his. You, the farmer, will be the owner of great riches. 